what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. Let's go back up to the That's right in the middle of the third. Of which salvation the prophets were required and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, or what manner, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. Get in the middle of a sentence, it makes it kind of difficult at times. But when we look at it and see that the salvation of the prophets, they required and they searched, they knew God kept telling them these blessings are going to flow upon his children. They're going to grow and they're going to be strong in him. And they're going to see miraculous things take place in the hands of the people. And they prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ and the works that he was going to do upon this earth. And they looked for that and they searched, oh, will it be in my day? God said it was just going to be at a later date to some of them. Some of them said it was going to be in the last time. But regardless of what it was, they persevered. They kept close to God. They ministered the message to the people as the people needed the message. And even when the people wouldn't hear, they kept preaching the message that God has got a miracle to be worked in the last days. And if we want to be part of it, we're going to have to stay close to God. Well, we know what God's people did. They got dilatory. They fell away. They came to church, but they sit there with the blahs. And all of this sort of thing. Until finally, remember, we just got through studying Habakkuk and, and the things he went through. And he, oh, God, look how mean your people are and how bad they are and how hard they treat you. But then he changed his mind when God said what he was going to do to turn them all around and get them right back. That's a good lesson for us. Never, never, never forget that God can turn us around the hard way. And we need to walk straight and pure before him. Judah, in the book of uh, Genesis, chapter 49, 10 through 12, it was talked about that Judah, it wasn't Reuben that got the blessing. It was Judah that got the blessing. Judah, who Israel prophesied for in the last days, should have the scepter, the kingship, or the royalty, should not depart from Judah. No matter what happened, Judah was to have it. And when we read down through the years and pages of time, Jesus was there. He is our King of kings and our Lord of lords. That prophecy has not been completely fulfilled this day because our king is to return. He was here, he went away, and he's to come back. He again has given us time and space to repent and search our heart and search our lives for him and then get ready because he's coming for a people that have made themselves ready. We're to be perfect without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. Nothing is supposed to be in our garments. And whatever we look in the mirror and we see things that's wrong, we say, okay, get it out. And Slice says, but I don't want it out. I like it. But the Spirit says, you can't keep it and be perfect. And the flesh says, but I sure am going to make you miserable. I'm going to make you tired. I'm going to make you weary. I'm going to make you grouchy. I'm going to make you sick. And flesh will tell you and threaten you with everything. You say, well, this is the devil. Yes, it is the devil. But it's also your flesh that's so used to being petted and pampered and took care of and, and everything going just right. But see, this isn't a new thing. This was even back in the Old Testament. That these men had the same thing to push forward to. 
because they were looking for the coming of Jesus Christ the first time. We're looking for his coming the second time. And honey, when it comes the second time, it's all going to be over. We're going to make right or wrong. But whenever he came the first time, remember he went into the prisons and he preached unto those who had never heard the gospel. And he preached to them the gospel. They were already dead and gone. But the Spirit of God went in there and preached to them. He's not going to make one excuse. That when you stand before God at that great white throne judgment, he is going to relate to you exactly what's going on. He is going to start way back in Genesis from the time he made Adam and Eve. And they're going to all march before it. And just like they used to say that great movie camera in the sky, well, now we would say the video. He captures our life on a video, slides it in and says, there it is. This is where you made this mistake and you didn't repent it. This is where you made that mistake and you didn't repent it. This is where I told flesh to lay aside this and lay aside that. And look at it. You're really telling flesh. I'm not going to do you anymore. I'm not going to pet you anymore. Then watch it. You sneak around and do it so your family won't even see what you're doing. But they heard you say you're not going to do it. I don't know if you if you can see it or not, but I can see my life right there on that wall, just as plain as if it was there now. And I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see. You asked me this morning, what's wrong? That's exactly what's wrong. His flesh is fighting. And my flesh is fighting me. And by the grace of God, one more time, I'm going to try to conquer. One more time, Lord. There it is. Daniel 2 and 44 also tells us about the prophets inquiring and searching diligently for this great promise that we've got. Abraham searched for a city, if you remember, a city that wasn't made by hand. And that city is still there. To come down out of glory for his children. We haven't attained it yet either. We're still looking for the new Jerusalem to come down out of heaven. And that's exactly what we need. See, he had a vision. All of his life, he had this same vision. If we never get a church worth $6 million with 1,700 people in it, it doesn't make any difference. If we get that vision and march toward it, that's the thing. Without a vision, the people perish. And when you say, I don't care what happens, it don't bother me, I'll just go with the flow. You're perishing. You're slowly dying. But look up and get a vision. Hold on to that. Abraham held on to it and he died. We are holding on to it and God willing, we may see the new Jerusalem come down out of heaven. But even if I don't see it, I'm going to look for it. I'm going to look for a church to be built that Meridian can come. And those that are hurt, those that are sick, those that are under bondage from alcohol, drugs, prostitution, uh, whatever it is, they can come in here and they can find peace and refuge and understanding. And their needs can be met. But we have to have the vision. It has to be there. Not here. Here. Haggai 2 and 7, Zechariah 6 and 12. Daniel 10 and 2 tells us, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Why? 
God can you not watch and pray with me one hour? This was Daniel for three full weeks on his face before God. Why? To seek an answer. To seek an answer to the problem. But see, God many times has the answer on the way, and Satan puts up a defense against it. And if we say, oh, well, God doesn't hear me anyway, what's the use? Right there, right there, your answer is solvable. It will not come because you haven't broke down that wall. Three full weeks this man prayed on his face. Three full weeks he sought God. And the answer came after that. And yet we can't pray one hour. We get weary, we get tired. Flesh cries out, oh, I don't like this. It's useless. But it's not useless. Bombard heaven. The answer's on the way. We need the answer. The prophets needed an answer. They needed an assurance. They needed a hope. And God revealed many things to Daniel, but he always said, and the time is not yet, Daniel. The time is in the last day. But Daniel was satisfied. In his heart, he had heard from God. He knew the answer to the problem. All right, we may not see the end of it, but we're going to know the answer, and we'll be satisfied in our hearts. So another question comes up. Isn't God wonderful? Psalm 6 and 7, and 1 Chronicles 5 and 12, or 5 and 2, Joseph got the birthright, but notice, Judah, Judah prevailed, even again, bringing it out, above Reuben to be the chief ruler. In other words, he was to be the prince of peace. But Joseph got the birthright. See, Reuben had sinned. And the rest of the brothers, come on down the line, had sinned. But when it come right down to it, Joseph got the birthright. Now let me tell you something. The birthright still means a lot today. And just because you're firstborn doesn't mean you're always going to get the birthright. That has to be earned. That has to be earned by having higher standards, which Joseph had. Joseph had very high standards. He was a child. If you remember, he had visions and dreams as a child. God was dealing with him. And instead of his father seeing this is a child of God, sometimes he taunted him. His brothers definitely didn't like him for it. Who do you think you are, some spiritual super saint? We could take that right here in this church. Who do you think you are, some super saint? Come on. We're all children of God. Hey, look, but there's some of us that's got a higher standard than others. Some of you out there have got terrifically high standards. And you surpass all of us. Therefore, when it comes down to the birthright, you should get it. The nitty-gritty of the situation. Hold on to that birthright. Now, what is our birthright? Because we're baptized in the family name. We have a right to the birthright. Persevere by the family name. Hold up standards. What are you saying, Sister Hope? I am saying that everyone that loves and serves God to the ability. Don't throw, throw eggs at me. But everyone that gives their heart to Jesus Christ 
and walks in all the light that they can see that has been shown upon their pathway, they're going to make it in. But not everybody's going to be perfect. Oh, listen out. Go with me to the marriage supper. Go with me, if you will. This isn't even in my notes. I don't even know why it's here, but God let God leave. But go with me. At the marriage supper was not only the bride and the groom, but there were servants, there was guests, there was cooks, there was ushers, there was those that stood at the door handing out garments. Come on. They were all in the wedding at the marriage feast. They were all there. But the degrees of their rewards were definitely different. And we have that choice. Are we going to be a doorman? Are we going to be sitting at the table eating? Are we going to serve those sitting and eating? Honey, when you've got the name of Jesus, you've got every priority in the world to walk in there and sit at that table. But you let me tell you something. Just as we learned from studying the book of Esther and ministering when I ministered to you about the book of Esther, if a bride during the time of the engagement or the betrothal gets out of line and does not keep herself clean and pure and holy, the bridegroom has every right to put her out. We that are baptized in Jesus' name have taken on the family name. We are in the bride. We have not yet come to the marriage supper. We are not yet made it in. We have not yet made it in. We have got to keep our garments clean and white and pure before the Lord Jesus Christ because the Holy Ghost is the one that watches over us and protects us as well as leads us and guides us. And we've got to keep ourselves pure before him that we can make it in. This is why Joseph's birthright was so important. But you notice down through the years, anything and everything that happened to Joseph, when he was a young man, he fled from lust. When Pharaoh's wife, um, or the, it wasn't Pharaoh's wife, or in faith, you guys. But when he was tempted to have an affair with one of the, the women, he ran. He ran so hard, she even took his toga off of him. That's how hard a grip she had on him. Listen, the world's got the same kind of a grip on us today. And we run from the appearance of lust, regardless of what it is. When he come down to be thrown in a dungeon, did he moan and groan and complain? No. He served the Lord. He was good. He was upright. Till they would come to him. The other prisoners would come to him seeking advice. And the Lord began to deal. And the Lord's time, look what happened. He was put in as prince, second under command to the king only. Come on. There was the birthday. There was the birthday. Look at his brothers, born in the same family. Come on. Get your spiritual mind. There it is. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, prophesies of Jesus Christ, his first coming and his second coming. These are prophets. These are men of the Old Testament that's seeking diligently and hard to reach out and find the answer. 
And we have most of the answers, not all of the answers, but we have them. We know Jesus Christ has come. We know he's been uh, crucified. We know he's been resurrected. He, we've got the word, the written word here that tells us as a roadmap, as a guideline, how we should walk, how we should talk, how we should live daily. And it tells us to get a vision that his second returning is more important than his first because that's it. So we've got a lot of answers they didn't have back then. But they searched diligently. In other words, it wasn't a half-hearted thing, but it was a whole-hearted thing that they searched the answers and they'd stay on their face before God week after week after week to get an answer. And what? Can you not pray with me one hour? It goes on to say, Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you? Isaiah 12 and 6 speaks to that. Daniel 2 and 28a says, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Daniel knew that. We should know that. Daniel 2 and 47 says, God is a revealer of secrets. Daniel 3 and 25 and says, The fourth man in the fire is like unto the Son of God. Man, I can't imagine. No wonder those Hebrew children were in that furnace dancing around. No wonder they was rejoicing and praising God. We do it here when we just feel his spirit, let alone see an apparition, if you want to call it that, or one of his comings before he came. Phew! The glory of it. The marvelousness of it. There was no heat in there at all. went out and killed the men outside. The only light was the light of God, the Son of God. He was the light. He is our light. Regardless of what comes, we can worship and praise and serve him and adore him, and the world has to stand out there and look at him. Doesn't it? They see us when we come in. They can tell you. Our neighbors around here can tell you each one of our cars. And they can tell you when we miss church. They can tell you who comes first and who comes last. They can tell you if you come in happy or you come in dragging. Hey, the world's looking on us. This community around here is looking at us. Met some people down there. We've passed two or three times on the road. They've never done anything. But this morning they smiled and waved. See, they're getting used to it. They're going to look for it. And I praise God for it. But you all have been here a lot longer than we have. And they were really looking at you. I can sneak off once in a while. Daniel 10 and 14 says, In the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Over and over, in the latter days, and yet the vision is for many days. Go with verse 11. Searching what? Now, I read that bland. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. But then there was something inside of me just reread that with expression. You wonder what I've got. I've got all those things dissected, all those verses dissected. And I read it. Searching what? I put a question at the end of it. Searching what? They're searching these prophets. Right now he's bringing it into the New Testament, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, and the pastors. Searching what? Searching the old path. 
hearts to find out what God wants. The Word of God was precious, one of the writers in the Old Testament wrote. But I want to turn that around and say the Word of God is precious. It's as precious today as it was back then. Searching what? The Word, the Spirit, to see what God has in store for us. Searching what? Praying, through praying and fasting, as with Isaiah and Daniel. Well, I've been in those two books a lot this week. And that's where I make so much mention of them. And then it says, Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify? What time is it? Past time? Fast time? Slow time? Delayed time? Eastern time? Western time? Central time? What time is it? When the Spirit of God, which was in them, did signify. God told them, in essence, the day they lived. He told Daniel. He said, Daniel, you're living in the first days. There's coming something much later. He told the prophets that there were things that was to come, and he couldn't tell them because they wasn't able to hear it. But he's telling us today, get ready. I want to tell you what they couldn't hear because you're in the end time. Why is Satan fighting us? Why is he putting us all down? Why are, we're weaker now in some areas, seems like, seems like, it's a delusion of Satan, but it seems like we're weaker now than we've ever been in our whole Christian life. Why? Because Satan has made an all-out war. Now, I don't know how many of you have been praying this way, but I've been praying this way. Lord, bind the strong man. And that's Satan. Out of all meridian, Lord, bind the strong man. Start at the root of our problems in meridian. Now, when something begins to get a disease or some worms get at the bottom of a plant at the root of it, you don't see any change until it's dead. It has to use up all that that's in the root, and then it goes up, and it begins to die from the bottom up. As a nurse, if you can get a wound to heal from the bottom up, you've got a good healing. But if you've got one that cuts off at the top and, and looks like on the top, it's well. And I can take this personally because I had had surgery, and it looked like everything was well. And then five or six years later, all of a sudden I had stomach pains. I couldn't understand what was wrong. There was a stitch in there that hadn't healed, but it healed over the top. Let me tell you something, it healed a good way down. And when that doctor went in with that probe, I could tell you how far it went. But what we're wanting in Meridian is to he, uh, to God to kill it from the root up. Whoever the source of drugs is, start there. Whoever the source of alcoholism is, start there. Prostitution, child pornography, home abuse, child abuse, spouse abuse, whatever it is, start at the root of it. And when you ask God to bind that strong man and start doing those things, I want to tell you right now, he is not going to lay still. He's going to fight you. He's going to claw you. He's going to bite you. He'll kick you. He'll pick up anything he can get and hit you with it. Oh. Well, in that case, I don't think I'm going to pray like that. 
But you can't get anything done if you don't. And where you think you're so weak, you're not weak at all. You're strong. But the strong man is yet a little stronger than you. That's why he says he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. And this is what we've got to look at. This is everything Peter's telling us here. Is you've got it made, but you're going to have to fight for it. Keep it. So when these things come at you, think it not strange. Didn't he tell us here, he says in the verse 6, he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Haven't we been rejoicing these last few months since we came in? I know y'all were rejoicing before we got here. The blessings and the praises and the glory of God and how he came in and just blessed this church and just really anointed it. And we couldn't understand why the door wasn't open and everybody come marching in. Let's read the rest of the verse. It says, If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. It's coming. It's coming. Prepare yourself. How do I prepare myself? Skipping on down a few more verses. Your mind. You prepare your mind. How do you prepare your mind? The first thing you do is put on the helmet of salvation. You put that helmet on and you keep it on and you don't let any demon, devil of hell, flesh, uh, person outside, inside, whatever, take that helmet of salvation off your head. Because what your mind gets in it, that's what you are. If you get dirty jokes, dirty television, dirty video, if you watch all of this sort of thing that goes on, if your mind's continually filled with foolishness, where is God going to get room to go in there and do any work? Put on the whole armor of God. We can take this. The letter from Baro Sagar, they are throwing physical stones. They're throwing physical darts. They tear down, destroy. That's physical. That's what we need with the whole armor, the breastplate of righteousness, all the way down to our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. But in America, we've already went through a lot of that. So the devil is working on our minds. He's planting evil imaginations in our minds. And if we say, the minute they go through, if we say, I arrest you in the name of Jesus Christ, you're not coming in my mind. I don't want my mind polluted. And it's just that easy. But you let him get in there with that thought. He plants that plant in the ground. The root grows deep. The tap root goes right straight down, not only in your mind, but in your members. And then it starts sending out feelers. Take up a carrot sometime and look how many tiny, tiny, tiny feelings it's got. And then it's difficult. We passed yesterday field after field after field of Johnson grass. And that is the farmer's biggest problem. Once you let it get in your field and you don't do anything about it for a couple of years, you might as well call that a dead field. That's the same as these thoughts go through your mind. When they go through your mind, arrest them and have Jesus Christ put them in the spiritual jail, if that's what you want to call it. 
When a dirty joke comes to your ears, arrest that joke and cast it off. Don't snicker, even out of embarrassment. Don't laugh at it. And for God's sakes, don't repeat it. Anything that's dirty, filthy, evil, wicked, and vulgar, don't repeat it. Because when you repeat it, you have given that a soil to grow. Then not only do you have it here, but you're like the Johnson grass, you spread it. My husband and I don't even tell easy, dirty jokes to each other. Why? Because this is a lesson we learned a long time ago. That you cannot, even with your companion, he doesn't want my mind polluted. When he's sitting in the barbershop, and they tell something, he tries not to hear it, but in spite of, I don't care how you try not, that ear just strains over. And it hears, where do you think your children that are raised in Christian home comes up with profanity? They hear it on the street. But then if you've taught them that's wrong, to cast it out, don't think about it, don't say it, they won't. And that stops it right there. They know it's bad. They know it's dirty. They know it's filthy. But we, oh, we're so grown up. We can handle it. No, you can't. No, you can't. You arrest it and cast it out right there. Whatever goes in your mind, let it be pure, clean, and holy. Well, you got to work, Sister Hopewell. Right. Know your job. Most of the time, there's not... Brother Colin, is there anything filthy about working with electricity? No. Is there anything filthy about working with patients in a nursing home? Now, I mean mind filthy. I worked there before. But being a policeman, Brother Bill, that's good. That's an honorable trait, isn't it? But in all these professions, you're going to hear things that shouldn't be there, that have absolutely no relatively relativity to your job. That's the thing you cast off. That's the thing you say, Satan, I'm not going to let you get in there. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You don't have to say it out loud, but if you're by yourself, it might not hurt. Let your mouth notify your brain and all of it work together. But this is what they were searching for in the time. I got, like I said, I jumped ahead a couple of verses of Scripture. Okay, it says, Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify? And we know that we are living in the last days. This is the time he's signifying now. All right. When it was testified, vegetables and you had to soak them so long in bleach before you could cook them and eat them. And you go to the store, and it says $2.39 for a jug of oil. And the price on top was $11.95. See, this is American. This is Asian. Oh, and that wonderful voyage. Now, that was a plane flight over I took. That wonderful voyage I was going to take on a boat with my husband. Oh, it's a beautiful moonlight cruise. Well, that boat was about 35 feet long. 25, 35 feet long. And there was holes in the bottom of it, and they had to hire a boy to dip the water. Otherwise, Matt, we would have sunk. 
All right. I think I told you all that before. But do you get the idea of where I'm headed? God didn't tell me all of that when he sent me to Haiti that all this was going to happen. But look here. Look at When it testified before him the suffering of Christ. He knew before he got into his ministry what he was going to have to suffer because it was written. And how many times is it? And Jesus went to the temple. At 12 years old, he was expounding things to the head priest, the older men that should have been telling him, but he knew. He knew beforehand that he was not going to be believed, that he was going to be spit upon, that he was going to go to the garden, everybody was going to leave him, he was going to be beaten, he was going to be crucified. He knew all of this. And flesh cringed. And why do you think he said in the garden, Oh, Father, if it be thy will, let this pass, cup pass from me. He knew it. It was written. And he went ahead and did it. I went ahead and did what I did in Haiti and in Elabas. But I did it because I didn't know a lot of things that was going to happen. But the end result turned out fine, and I thank God for it. Just as the end result turned out fine for Jesus. The end result is going to turn out fine for you and I. But hey, in between times, there is some suffering to do. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. So don't think this thing is a mystery or it's strange that the enemy bombards your body, gets after your family. Brother Colin's mother was doing a good job, and all of a sudden we start having fastings and prayer, and she, she got hurt. Do I relate that exactly to us? No, but I am saying Satan caused it to happen to get his mind off of what he had his mind on before, which was the church and building a new church and the souls and meridians. Now he's got to spend that time praying for his mother's healing. See what I'm saying, Brother Colin? That's how Satan works. Are you and your wife having problems? Are you and your children having problems? That's why. But this is the suffering. We're not told about it. We couldn't handle it. We couldn't cope with it if we knew it before time. But when it comes on us day by day, if we'll handle that issue right there that day, we find out just live one day at a time. Sometimes we can only live one hour at a time. But live that for Jesus Christ to the fullest. Because we didn't read a forehand of our suffering, but he read a forehand of his. And he stood it. And then he also read, and the glory that should follow. Well, here it is. The book of Revelation. Let's go over here. And it says in the end of the book that we're the winners. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add to or take away, that blah, 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 blah. Go on and, ta and take it away. But he also tells us that the light of the Lamb is there. The glory of God did lighten the world and the Lamb of God thereof. And all of these other things he not only gave us told us we couldn't add to or take away, but he told us these blessings that were coming. Come on, in uh, chapter 21 22, we read the end of the book. We're winners. We know the glory to come. 
but are you willing to work for it and strive toward it? And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He worked for it and he strove toward it. Verse 12 says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel and unto you with the Holy Ghost and sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. Man, look at that. To whom it was revealed. God revealed it through the angels, the messengers of time. He revealed it through the Holy Spirit dealing around these men's hearts. He revealed it in messages and visions. But God revealed it. Why? Not for them, but that they might take pen in hand and write it down for the future generation. Peter said it was not unto themselves, but it was unto us. He's talking about his generation, his time. We can say, to us. Go back and read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and some of those books and see all these things that were supposed to be taking place down the road. They didn't all occur when Jesus Christ was here on earth. There's many that have to occur now. Many that are occurring now. But praise God, there's a glory to come which is even further than what we are and we can see. But if we look with a spiritual eye, with a natural eye, I may not be able to see but a quarter of a mile, but with a spiritual eye, I can see years ahead. And I praise God for it. And this is what these things were all revealed unto him, not unto themselves. Abraham, when he was looking for the city, Isaiah, when he was searching the truth, and Daniel, and all of these, they saw their faith day by day, and they also saw the future way ahead of them. And they preached and they taught it as if it was actually happening then. Go back to Habakkuk. When he saw that vision, it was as if it was happening that day. He used the present tense term. But God said, yet not now, but a little season. That's exactly the way it's happening God says, I want you to live your life day by day by day by day for me. Brother Hostclaw's message has been the last few months a day by day by day living. He even went on the little subject of forgiveness. Well, we all know how to forgive, did we? Did we know how to forgive? Not the way God wanted it. Not the way God wanted, but we're learning. Now we are going to be held accountable for that message. If you make it profit less preaching, it'll be on your shoulders. It won't be on Brother Hostos. He's going to teach us on love, the love of God. When he teaches this and finishes this series, well, not when he finishes it, when he finishes each message step by step. We're to take that first step and begin to apply it to our lives and move on with it. It's kind of like if you clean up a house every day and it comes to spring house cleaning, it's not a bad chore. But I knew a young lady that swept all of her trash under the floor and in her back room she put all the garbage. 
I knew of another lady that did not like to iron, and she never would let me pass the living room of her house till one day she says, oh, won't you come here? And then she got me there to the door, and she says, oh, my God, don't look in. But she had the door wide open, and that whole room was filled with clothes to be ironed. And I said, where did you get all those clothes? She says, well, I just go down and buy new ones. And then she didn't know why her husband didn't have any money. And I know of another lady that never washed a pot in a pan in her life. She kept buying new ones or she'd go get things that you could stick them in the oven and discard them. And their house smelled like that, too. You know, you don't really hide it. No, their husbands loved them and he lived with them. Because the husbands were just as bad as they were. When he got through with the grease, he came in and he washed his hands in the sink and got car grease all over the, uh, the sink. And he reached up, instead of rinsing off his hands and getting that gook and gunk to go down there, he had soap and everything there, and he reached up and he got their clean towels and wiped his hands on their clean towels, and here you go. And then wonder why she couldn't get the towels clean. It was simple, couldn't get the towels clean because he had put grease on them, and grease doesn't come off that easy. And I think that's my husband telling me it's time to close her out. But they did minister these things unto us, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Now we believe the Holy Spirit is telling us that he's revealing to us every day, carry this ministry forward. Carry these messages forward. Share every message that you hear with three people before the next message comes. Share it and share it with enthusiasm. And if you're enthused, people, other people are going to get enthused. But if you're bland, they're not going to care one way or the other. But Brother Gene has been in enough promotional benefits for Pepsi to know that the first thing you've got to do is get excited yourself. After you get excited, you go spread the news and the excitement to somebody else. And there's something about excitement that's contagious. But let me tell you, there's something about depression, discouragement that's just as catching. So when you talk to somebody, you let your eyes light up, your face light up, you use your hands for expression, you use your feet. Good body language. I've used a lot of body language this morning. I've knelt, I've stood, I've been, I've done all my aerobics this morning. But the thing of it is, I'm enthused about this gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm enthused about what Peter's teaching us. Because he's bringing the past up to himself, and then he's pushing it on to us. And that is the great thing. One more uh, phrase. Which things the angels desire to look at in Exodus 25 and 20. Daniel 8, 13, Daniel 12, 5 and 6. They knew the redemption story. They knew of redemption plans because God had had them carry the message back to the people year after year, dispensation after dispensation. But salvation was to be a wonderful thing and to be greatly desired. Salvation is a wonderful thing to be greatly desired. But the angels can't participate in it because they've never fell. And those that fell are Satan's demons, and they don't want to participate in it. But these angels are so holy and so perfect, but yet the very thing we've got 
stirred up within us and inside of us and we've got to give to the rest of the world this very thing the angels wanted. And some of us are careless with it. We need not be. We are the redeemed. Little Aaron sings a song. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. But she sings that I'm a deem, I'm a deem, praise the Lord. She gets into it. So when Satan comes at you and buffets you this week, you say one thing. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. 